Good morning, everybody. We will be starting the show shortly. It's a little pre-show tech check. Pre-show tech check. Tech check. Sounding good. Testing one, two, three. Yep. You sound good. So what's the uh, preview on what we're going to be talking about today? Well, of course, we got to cover some news issues, you know, because, uh, you know, why not kick it off that way? We had a pretty, pretty interesting news um, cycle, especially, you know, in, in the emergency management side of things. Yesterday, close to home, we had that large fire down in Laguna Niguel. Evidently burning down 20 homes and uh, just cause of the fire, possible cause of the fire, I guess. And uh, what that means when we have a big fire like this in May, um, at the beginning of the, the wildfire awareness month. So this is supposed to be the month that back in the day, this was the month that we were preparing for wildfires, right? We're like checking our equipment, making sure, you know, checking our plans, <clears throat> stuff like that. And we get a wildfire in, the, in there during this time. Yeah, it's an interesting time. So chat is turned on and the chat is used for listeners to chat amongst yourselves. If you would like to ask Todd a question, you'll see questions down below. That is turned on. And uh, Todd, you let me know if you want me to turn call in on. Yeah, please do. All right. Now or when you're ready for it? You can turn on now. All right. So listeners will be able to click a button and call in, and we can add your voice to the show. That'd be fun. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll run through some of the systems here and see how we do with uh, with the call-in. So we got, looks like we got a few people on already, you're saying? We do. And, uh, you know, this tech check, this early start is more for us than anybody else with a new system and a lot of new options. It's a little bit of a learning curve, but uh, we've got less than 30 seconds, so we'll be right back with the start of the show. Welcome to the Todd DeVolve Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine world. And, uh, well, you know, we're going to do a little bit something different today. We're just going to uh, just discuss some things, take some questions. If you would like to call in, uh, please do. Uh, the call-in feature is available. And uh, go down to the area if there's any questions that you have to ask me um, or uh, just kind of throw out there in general for today because we have a little bit of a light show a little bit of a conversation show um about what it is and so as i say in the title and uh it's the humble answers to life's questions and i you know i don't know if i have all the answers to life's questions but uh if if you ask one I, i'll definitely make one up if if not we'll do some research but let's get into some of the breaking news over the last few days in some cases a few months here uh yesterday um well this month may is fire wildland fire 
um, Awareness Month, right? And the idea was set up here in May was, you know, spring is coming, especially in the, uh, you know, the, the, the West part of the country here. Um, you know, even though in Idaho um, and other parts of North, the North Pacific, I don't know if Idaho is considered in the North Pacific or not. Anyway, the Northwest, I should say. Uh, they had snow up there. I was talking to uh, Holly from Speak and Spark, and it started snow. It was snowing when I was talking to her. It was a little cold down here. You can tell I have a sweater on, but it's just a little chilly. I say that's like in the uh, in the 60s. So for those of you back east, I'm sure that's uh, super warm right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the idea of the Wildland Fire Month awareness month um was to get your house in order uh for the coming summer and fall fire season and that would be you know having making sure that your uh, sprinkler systems or if you have external sprinkler systems on which i highly recommend um if you live in the wooey uh when you go and take a look at you know the the roofing uh materials or if you have you know, take a look at your vents and then, you know, make sure that your brush is cleared away from your house and all that kind of stuff is happening, should be happening around preparing for the fire season. However, as you guys could tell from yesterday's large fire, which made national news, um, not due to the, the acres that were burned, but due to the number of homes, 20 homes were burned. Um, some of the homes were upwards of the uh, tens of millions of dollars. Uh, worth in value so they made an expensive burn for sure um yeah so you know go making sure that that area is cleaned and and you can tell that fire behavior is interesting especially when you live uh in the wooey and if it gets into your and point it up into the ceiling if it gets into your vent system um you know into your attic into the eaves um your, your house is going to burn basically from the inside out um, and you saw that yesterday. If you watched any of the video footage of those homes burning, it wasn't like it was burning from the outside. Some some embers got into the eaves, and you could see the homes burning from the inside out. And it's kind of kind of fascinating in some aspect of it that you saw some of the if you looked at the footage or the images that it's just the outside of the home still looked like a house, but the, you could tell that the inside was completely just burnt out. So it's just interesting fire behavior. And and so the fire starts, um, and it was a wasn't it was a windy day, but it was onshore breeze, right? So the breeze coming from the ocean, um, not from the desert. So it wasn't like the Santa Ana winds. It's a little different type of a wind pattern. And it's it's realistically the type of winds that we get on a regular basis here in Orange County, um, around sunset. Or we call them sundowner winds. Um, normally, hips around two, three o'clock in the afternoon, and and the winds kick up, and those basically what, what we had there. And those winds can still drive fires, though, as we see. So it was a wind-driven fire for sure, um, and the humidity wasn't super low. It was like thirty percent humidity uh, when the fire kicked off. Uh, but the thing is, is that the the, the fuel is so dry uh, from from the drought and from the humidity being low on a regular basis uh, that once it, once it caught, it just, it just ran and Orange County fire authority uh, did the best they could do. You know, uh, they are on it fast uh, helicopters and air airships um, on there very quickly 
uh, drop in fast check and water drops. Uh, the ground crews were there quickly. I mean, they had an all out uh, response on that thing fast. And it's just one of those things that the, the wind's driving and they, they just can't control it. So that being said, so 20 homes burned um, on this called the coastal fire. Um, if you want to check out um, some of the things that are happening, if you want to see some of the video, uh, you can look just uh, Google the coastal fire. Um, that's what it's called. Or you can look at the hashtag coastal fire. And it's interesting that during this fire, um, we actually had, and I'm going to, I'm going to bring, um, if you can come on, uh, bring producer Brian here um, on the show in a second, but we were having a, a long, uh, conversation yesterday with my, with our students, my students, um, regarding social media and the hashtag. And I brought up the tweet deck and threw the hashtag uh, in and uh, was really following along. And it was realistically uh, the ability to give a live demonstration on the power of the hashtag. So Brian, let's talk about the hashtag for a minute. So hashtags in general, what exactly are they and what do they do and why, why should we uh, be looking at them? You know, nowadays you can follow a hashtag and if anything's happening, typically a hashtag or two will get associated to that event. So just by jumping on Twitter and doing a search, say Laguna Beach fire, you'll see that that hashtag coastal fire was being used. So then in TweetDeck, you can add another column for every tweet hashtagged coastal fire. And yeah, it becomes this live feed and it's a mix of, you know, California Fire Authority, Orange County Fire Authority, citizens on the ground, live streaming video, audio, tweeting about what's going on. So it gives you this real time perspective of what's going on. So that can be the power of the hashtag if used appropriately. So let's let's talk about the hashtags and, and the idea of the citizen journalist. Right. So over the last, well, pretty much, I don't know. 15 years or so you're seeing this increase in the idea of the citizen journalist you have the stringers out there um taking video of of all sorts of stuff and selling it back to the news agencies um i mean so much so that there are some um agencies that just contract with stringers they don't even have they don't even send camera crews out anymore they just have these stringer guys um running and that's a whole nother uh a whole nother conversation but point is is that you're starting to see citizen journalists um, during the the summer of violence, as I call it, uh, where or, or the some people call it the uh, uh, the, the Floyd uh, uh, protests. Um, you, you know, they're out there um, wearing just stuff that says "press" on it, which I don't know what that really means anymore. Um, and they're out there taking video of stuff. Um, how, how has that impacted? what we do necessarily as as purveyors of of news information um to put people like how how does that help out or does it hurt or does it does it democratize the idea of journalism i mean that's in my opinion a loaded question um i think a live uninterrupted video feed from somebody's perspective gives an alternate truth to what's happening Um, we understand in today's day and age that video can be altered and or edited to the point to 
to uh, give strength to a perspective somebody wants to put out there of what's going on, if that makes sense. But, you know, it's all a piece of the puzzle. You know, we now know, I mean, for example, I read you a piece of a story yesterday to where a reputable news agency reported that an individual committed suicide after they were in custody and that ended up not being what happened. Um, so even with reputable news sources, you know, can we, obviously we couldn't trust that. I mean, it didn't make sense to me right out of the gate. And then when you dive into it a little longer, you realize, you know, they, they misspoke, but, you know, adding pieces of a puzzle to the board, you know, can help you formulate more of a complete picture, if you will. Mm. Yeah. And you know, the, the idea of, uh, what does it mean to be a reputable uh, news agency nowadays? It's, it's always a, it's a question because, you know, when we're, when we're talking about news coverage, um, there, there are different, definitely independent news agencies that are out there. Uh, when I say agencies, news, people are covering the news, uh, journalists, and we'll, we'll get into the, to some of the interesting stuff here in a second, but, um, and sometimes they are, are, are locked out of the conversation um, by the gatekeepers, right? So they go to a press conference and they don't have the credentialing from a recognized news agency, right? And so they're like, no, you're not allowed to come in because, you know, you're a blogger or you're a vlogger or you're, you're not a part of an agency that's a, it's a registered media agency, whatever that means. And then, I mean, I want to say whatever that means. It's, it's a very vague term. Right. And it's, it's loose, loose interpretations of, of what that means. And then, you know, some counties uh, require you and source cities require you to apply for press credentials. Um, and, and some just say, Hey, if you create a press credential, you know, for your blog your, or your vlog or whatever you're doing um, that counts. So it's kind of all over the board. Now, freedom of the press, the first amendment, um, is very critical here in the United States. Um, and it's one of those things that's the foundation of what we do. And so you've seen uh, stringers, for instance, you've seen independent news agencies actually take uh, agencies to court um, due to lack of access to, to events. So I, I find that kind of interesting too. So what does it mean to be a, a independent news media? So technically, I guess, would um such radio for instance um or uh, or my show right would we be considered an independent news agency or more or something different like what do you think about that you know let me let me start to answer that question by asking you a question sure how many different definitions of emergency manager are there in the united states a ton and and yeah it's it's whoever owns the sandbox, if you want to play in it, you have to play by their rules. Do I, do I think it's fair and right? No. I mean, we do have freedom of the press and, and the cell phone entering the, the picture pretty much makes anybody, you know, press, if you will, if they start streaming a video, if they start, you know, maybe blogging live. I mean, you can do a lot of things live, tweeting on what's going on, but we all need to remember it's their perspective. And do they have the the moral fortitude to 
put out an unbiased and fair story. And it's, in my opinion, sad that I think a lot of people are trying to put good content out there, true and accurate. Um, but, you know, they are that citizen journalist. And, you know, it's not respected, even though a reputable news agency reports that somebody commits suicide after they're in custody with a gun. Um, you know, so where where do you where do you draw the line? You know, some people are really making a names for themselves. I mean, take a stringer, for example. They probably started off as a student, videography, photography, and that's their job. Something pops off, they run over there, they try to capture footage immediately to sell. So they tend to put themselves, you know, maybe a little more into harm's way to get that perfect shot because they may stand to make a little more money off of it. Um, but they're going after the wow factor, not necessarily the story. Then it's that news agency that buys that footage's job to write the story around that piece of content. And they weren't even there. Right. So they're well, getting reports of what's going on, coupling that with video from a stringer's point of view to tell us a story. You know, one of the, one of the, this movie that you turned me on to many years ago, um, called the bang bang club, um, was a it's a, it's so first of all just to kind of give you a quick background brian's really great is is a hobby photographer um has won awards an award-winning photographer um at that um and uh la county uh search and rescue actually uses um one of the pictures that he took um during some training um as one of the recruiting posters and it's on their official uh coin so so when i say he's an amateur photographer he's not like me who takes a freaking cell phone and takes pictures he actually knows what he's doing um so the bang bang club it's a story of these uh, photographers um in johannesburg um south south africa during the apartheid just i don't know if it was during or after mandela was um released um from from prison um but either way it was during that time of, of, of a lot of civil unrest and some sort of like civil war going between a couple of the tribes um in south africa and um of this group of photographers that were um, out there covering it for the news but the the one photographer that started off in the story um he was a stringer and ended up getting picked up and i think he went to pulitzer right uh, I believe, yeah, he did win a Pulitzer for the Vulture uh, image, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So, so, I mean, so these guys that are out there, and gals, that are out there taking photos of or video stringers, um, they're they're professionals. They're not they're not Todd running around with a cell phone camera, you know, looking like a Blair Rich project, right? I mean, they're they know what they're doing. Yeah, but it's also about being in the right place at the right time, right? You know, if you're, I mean, for example, I've gone to protests with the intent to capture imagery of what was going on. Um, I was looking for interesting images. I wasn't looking to side with law enforcement, protesters, any of the subsets of protesters, because everybody jumps on the bandwagon nowadays. Um I was just looking for a compelling image, but, you know, putting yourself not necessarily in harm's way, but as for these war photographers in harm's way to capture truth. 
I mean, if we go back to the famous image from the Vietnam era where that officer, you know, shot and killed uh, an individual and that, that image definitely changed that officer's career path forever. You know, he wasn't, didn't, wasn't well received. Um, it's, it's about that perspective though. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and actually those images like that, uh, change the viewpoint of Americans view on the war too. Right? right. Um, but he happened to be in the right place at the right time. Right. And, and just, just to kind of, if you guys don't remember that image, it was a, a, a after, after the Tet offensive, um, this is the Vietnamese officer who, um, had a suspected, uh, VC and, uh, um, and, uh, um, executed him in the middle of the street. Um, so that was, that was that picture that changed, you know, but yeah, but what I meant by that is like the, the stringers that are out there doing stuff as far as like for media goes, right. As far as the, as emergency managers that were restricting the flow of, of people going to places, uh, you know, said, Hey, like in Laguna fire, when they said, Hey, this is a mandatory evacuation area. Um, yet there were still, there was a couple of stringers still out there taking video. Um, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's not, my point about it is it isn't just some random person running around with a camera. I mean, these people know what they're doing They're uh, and, and they, they understand the, the risks that they're putting themselves into uh, for, for getting that footage. So it's, again, it's not like a teenage kid running around with a cell phone, I'm not saying that the teenage kid running around with a cell phone can't find an image or do something that's uh, compelling. Uh, but they, they have a little bit more practice and understanding of what the media is. They're not just, they're, I hate to say they're, they're not, they're not amateurs. All right. I mean, you know, as far as what they do. Yeah. But, but, you know, we, we also, we need to keep in mind that that image or that piece of video is truth of a perspective because of the way it's composed. So even if it's uncut, unedited, it's still a single point of view. Um, and it can be misinterpreted. Um, people can, you know, watch something and, get really strong convictions about what they believe the story is. And that's not always the truth. You know, we have all these first amendment auditors running around with cameras, you know, putting themselves in positions to be challenged by law enforcement. And, you know, some of them are very respectful. Some of them, you know, aren't. And they're looking for the fight. What's that? They're, they're, a lot of them are looking for the fight. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, some of them are looking for the lawsuit. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's still, you know, the camera, the camera helps good people be good. And, you know, some some people don't like that. You know, you see law enforcement now responding to scenes playing copyrighted music over loudspeakers. So any video footage is going to get pulled down by that social media platform and or YouTube because they don't have a license for the music. Right. You know, and. Is it right? You know, if you're doing nothing wrong, what do you have to hide? But that seems to be this tactic, and I've seen it on more than one occasion. But they're doing it to combat that cameraman, that videographer's point of view. So what do you think the role of the individual with a a camera, and, and this is kind of going back into what my expertise is as far as like a, 
disaster response emergency management and and oh yeah just for everybody who's who hasn't met brian yet um uh brian spent um some years uh running rescue ambulance as well um in la county so uh, he's not a stranger to uh uh to these things um what do you think the role is um that as emergency managers as public safety officials what do we how do we handle um the stringer if you will or how do we handle the citizen what I mean by that is First Amendment is Trump's everything. That's why it's the first great, uh, I shouldn't say Trump's everything, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, how do we handle, how do we handle them in, in the danger zones? How do we handle them during disasters? Because we want, at some point we may even want that footage, right. Um, of a disaster during a disaster, right. Uh, Hurricane Katrina is a great example of it. Uh, Harvey, there's a lot of individual people with cell phone coverage uh, that posted stuff up. And we could use that for training. We could use it for what do we do, uh, you know, where are things at. How do we handle that? Do we, can't we, just, do we just let them run around willy-nilly, you know, in the disaster zone? Is there any do – what do you think of that aspect of it? You know, in, in my opinion, if somebody wants to put themselves in harm's way to capture something, it's on them. And – I, I think if you knowingly enter a dangerous situation, you shouldn't be able to rely on those rescuers to stop what they're doing to get you out of harm's way. And that to me just is common sense. You know, if I know I'm putting myself in harm's way, I I'm kind of forfeiting that right to say, Hey, I need help. I, I went too deep. Come get me. And those firefighters say, stop fighting a fire to come pull me out of, you know, a stupid situation I put myself in. But no, I think, you know, I, I would say it's safe to assume that the majority of the images in the textbooks that you utilize teaching the courses you use weren't professional photographers. Right. You know, they were an amateur photographer that happened to be in the right place at the right time that made that image. And then maybe they license it through Getty or they license it through, you know, any of the other stock agencies who, then represent you in, in selling that image. So, you know, just because you see an image is a Getty image, that doesn't mean a Getty photographer took it. You know, I have images in the Getty, you know, catalog. It's, and I think that journalism is an important tool, probably more so now than ever, because without, without getting political, you know, people's stories are their opinion or the opinion they want people to believe believe it's their spin it's their agenda it's and if a a citizen journalist happens to capture something to help tell the truth i mean what what greater power is there you know i agree with you and, and i and i i lean way to the point of of where i, I think the first amendment um is more critical than than anything in uh yeah so i think that's what we, we in law enforcement and, and public service we should do everything possible to protect the person's first amendment rights to be able to report and do what they need to do but um and you know what and just to kind of put it's not just stringers and amateurs that get in harm's way i remember um arrowhead had a fire a few years ago and a channel seven news van was up there uh, and burnt down i don't know if you remember that or not but yep, that so, i do you know, seven is a, for those that are not in uh, California, Channel Seven is the um, the ABC affiliate station um, that covers um, LA County, Orange County, and some other counties too. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, and and people people have this perception that I need their permission to take their image, and if they're in public, that's not true. Right. You do not have a right to privacy in public, and that's whether you're, you know, Joe Citizen or you know the President of the United States. If he's in a public place, you can take pictures. Um, and you know, I I often think back to the times we were running around in ambulances, Todd. How many great training tools did we not capture because it was against policy? Mm. You know? And, I mean, so many things. I remember going into a room once, and I think I was second in, and it was an agitated individual, possibly 5150, and there's a rifle in the corner of the room. You know, and fire comes in right after us, and I put myself in between him and the rifle, and then I get the fire captain's attention going, you know, without saying anything, we've got a gun over here. Um, But, you know, a body cam on an EMT, you can blur out the face, but that that would have been a great training tool just for situation awareness and preserving my safety first, walking into a situation. Absolutely. So... Yeah. I mean, you know, the body cam footage I think is great. You know, not all of it's awesome, especially once they start to tussle. But, you know, one thing that is kind of upsetting, I I don't know why we're focusing so much time on, on imagery, but there have been so many cases where people have submitted a, a public information request for body cam footage. And now it's just hassles to get it. And you know, eventually the truth usually comes out. I won't say always, usually comes out. And if the department reviews body cam footage and it's bad, we should probably get in front of it instead of trying to suppress it because now you're just making it that much bigger, larger of a story. Yeah, that's a whole nother conversation as well as getting in front of the issue um, before it gets bigger. And and speaking of that, we're going to change subjects here. And if you want to drop off, I'm, you're, appreciate your time, but um the other day um i was listening to the news and this uh, story comes up and i i marginally was paying attention to it before i remember i think i kind of heard about it but it wasn't really not in my wheelhouse right now because i don't have young ones and they were talking about um the baby formula uh shortage <laughs> excuse me and i've spoken a lot about these shortages, um, supply chain stuff, um, both this show, business continuity today, um, both of them, um, on the idea of supply chain and what the issues are. And this becomes more than a supply chain issue. So back in February, um, Abbott, uh, one of the, the largest, um, supplier of baby formula to the WIC program, the women and children, women, infants, and children, um, nutrition program um they found out that excuse me they found out that um they had a couple of batches went out that had some uh, bacteria and um directly related i don't know if they i'm looking through the new stuff here um it's assumed at this point i'm sure they're going through lawsuits and cases that that bacteria or whatever was inside of the the um, the the baby formula um, killed two infants um, at hospitals 
And so they shut down the plant. Um, rightfully so. The FDA came in, shut down, did some testing. Um, there was uh, whistleblower stuff, a whole bunch of stuff going on outside of this other part of the story. And so 40 something percent of the baby formula comes from these two plants um, from Abbott. And so those are shut down. Well, now there's a reduction in baby formula. And some of the stuff, some of the baby formula that was being made was like stuff for kids that have uh, allergies, um, things like this. So now it's not being produced. It's not being put out there. And baby formula prices have gone up. Um, And this is the odd part about this. I'm going to kind of go back a minute. Is I was went to the grocery store. Um, my wife, my daughter, and I um, were making dinner, so we had to go buy some some ingredients. And as we're leaving, she noticed that all this baby formula was behind a locked cabinet. And she asked me, she's just like, "Hey, why, why is that stuff over there? Why is it locked up?" I told her it was baby formula. And I I know that in the you know in the past you know we've had issues with people stealing baby formula. Um, and they kind of went through like this social aspect of it going, you know, sometimes people don't have money and they need to feed their baby and they do desperate things and they steal. And so this is why it's be behind the lock cabinet, not knowing of this shortage. Well, then I find out just like later on that day, or I think it was that day that there was a story that came out where there's people selling, buying uh, baby formula, selling it on eBay or wherever you buy baby formula in, in the, um, the secondary market um for like three times the amount of what a can of baby formula costs and i was like wow that's crazy and so i started to take a like a deeper look at it and realize oh smoke there's a there's a there there um as far as baby formula goes and like so you're going like okay todd why are we talking about baby formula because there are some things that we have to do specifically um you know as public health uh, and and public officials when it comes to um leading the way when it comes to issues like this. So now does a baby formula um, shortage, does that become a public health issue? Well, I could lean, lean on that and say, yeah, it, it potentially could be because without proper nutrition to these children, um, to all children, um, you're going to create other issues coming down the pipe, right? Other baby birth the weight of the children not birth weight but the weight of the children um you know malnutrition um you have development issues that are happening now uh specifically with with these kids that are going to be have these issues and so you know the women and children a women infant and children um nutrition program is great right and it's and it's there to help people during these hard times um, especially uh, during their their development, their body development uh, ages, and so if they can't get the the uh, formulas, and the thing is, is that there's restrictions, and this is kind of where I, I get kind of you know libertarian again when it comes to my politics, when it comes to public policy, is we have the women and infant and children program, but yet it's restricted to what you can purchase, what kind of formulas uh, that you can buy um with with this and the the stuff that was on that list the approved list 
was the Abbott formulas. And so now they're not producing them. And so do they go outside? Can they go outside of purchasing the Abbott formulas, like other formulas that are out there, infant formulas? And they couldn't because they're restricted. So now the WIC programs are scrambling to let approvals go out. Um, for, and this is a report in the Washington Post, New York Times. Right. So they're scrambling to uh, change that policy so women can get their uh, children and, and their infants uh, formula that aren't on that approved list. You know, and so what do we do? Like, how, how do we how do we help this out? Right. And maybe as a city emergency manager or maybe even as a college emergency manager. Right. You know, you're not necessarily, you know, using this as a problem that you're dealing with, but I bet you if you're working in hospitals, uh, maybe some universities, um, this becomes an issue now for you. Right. And especially if you're in public health, uh, this is now an, an, an issue that you have to be leaning, thinking about. And, and so this, this really opened my eyes and idea to the greater issue of what, what do we do um, in, in the field of emergency management or in general public policy um, when it comes, what, what things should we be looking at, right? And so moving on from the formula issue, what other social issues should emergency management be thinking about? And um, conversation comes up regarding should emergency management be involved in, in homeless issues um, or the unhoused, if you will, it's changed. I'm not really sure what the what the biggest differences are between homeless and unhoused, but uh, I guess it's the vernacular. Um, so we're taking a look at those at those things, and so I started doing some more research when it came into um, the homeless issue and what that means. And so, if you've been into any of the areas um, here in Southern California, um, it's very great weather, and so we we happen to have um, you know, a, a lot of people, a lot of people come from other parts of the country to be homeless here uh, in, in Southern California. And like, heck, why not? Right. The, the weather's almost perfect. And so Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, we had Skid Row. Um, and that has expanded. It's no longer just Skid Row. Right. That has expanded. Um, and there's all sorts of areas in L.A. Um, that are dealing with with homeless um, we had an issue here in Orange County along one of the riverbeds um, where a very popular riverbed where a lot of uh, bicyclists would go um, and it got dangerous for them uh, that people couldn't ride their bikes um, through there. Um, and and so, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that was going on with that. And so we have these homeless encampments and things and, and public policy with the deal with them. So it's not, it's not just what do we do with the unhoused, right? What do we do with the other issues associated with it, such as the crime, um, the and, and the um, uh, disease, right, in, in the areas? And if you take a look at the one in L.A. City on Skid Row, some of the issues that you have there are there's lots of rats, uh, there's uh, fecal matter all over the place. Uh, San Diego a few years ago had this hepatitis uh, outbreak um, due to uh, people defecating on to the uh, sidewalks and whatnot and um, 
So there's a big hepatitis issue in San Diego. San Francisco is having those problems as well. Um, and, and, and so there's a fine line again between violating the constitutional rights of the unhome, unhoused, right, the homeless, um, and then the public safety and public health issues that are associated with it, and also the human dignity that's associated with it. Um, how, how do we handle those things? And then the question goes, should it be constituted as a, a state of an emergency? And, you know, I really start to take a look at some of those problems. And is that a solution? Because there are some other things that go along with that creating it as a as an emergency um, that have, well, for lack of a better term, we learned this, uh, you know, during, I say we, the not emergency managers, but the residents, citizens and, and uh, of the United States learned a lot about emergency powers uh, during COVID. And, and some of it was good, right? I mean, some of it needed to be done, uh, opens up um, monies. Um, and the other side of it is, is that do we, um, um, you, you know, what are those those emergency powers also have heavy-handed government um, restrictions and government um, actions that are put behind it. So we have to really kind of weigh what the differences are behind that. So, yeah, so those are some of the questions I have. Um, I have a couple of books here that I've, I've gotten um, regarding homelessness, um, studies that have been done and I'm going to be getting a little bit deeper into uh, the homeless issue and, and what it is uh, for emergency management here uh, shortly. You know, Oh, wow. I uh, just got the note that we're uh, late into the show. Uh, I do appreciate everybody's time today. Uh, Brian, I appreciate you coming on to the, uh, uh, to the show with me and Hey, I'm so excited to be here on Bullhorn. Um, and not only do we do the Bullhorn stuff now, uh, you can also read what we're doing um, over at the Emergency Management Network on Substack. Uh, that's in the, sh- in the show notes as well. Uh, some really great writers happening over there and some good conversation as well. So until next week, everybody. Oh, yeah, next week, Climb and Lift. Uh, we're looking at women in emergency management and how we can promote that as well. So, hey, everybody, I am looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Until then, everybody, please stay safe and stay hydrated.